You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I just tweeted a new graph this last weekend showing the valuations of the CDNX, the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Index, made a new low against commodities in this cycle. So since 2008, we haven't seen a low like this. And that tells you a few things. It tells you we are at the bottom of uh, this bottoming pattern. (laughs) I think it's very late in this bottoming pattern and we're on the verge of a very substantial rise. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and I'm speaking today with Willem Middlecoop. He is the founder and manager of the Commodity Discovery Fund about a 200 million Canadian uh, resource fund that focuses on uh, junior mining stocks, which is very unique because not many funds focus of that size focus exclusively on junior mining stocks uh, all over the world, but many of which are in North America where I reside. Uh, So Willem, thanks for coming back on the show today to talk about the sector and share your insights. Thanks, Uh, great to be back. And uh, we just uh, crossed the 200 million uh, barrier because we see quite strong inflow from high net worth investors here in Europe. Uh, Many of these uh, investors uh, have clearly, uh, well, woken up uh, because of the high inflation and the shortages they see arriving in the world of commodities and also in other markets, uh, also due to to the war, the Ukraine war. And, and to add a little to your introduction, uh, yes, we focus on exploration companies. And I think we're the largest specialized resource fund out there who has this strong focus. But we also have at least 40% of our portfolio in more liquid stuff. Uh, and we prefer to, to use many of the ETFs and also the royalty companies, because um, if you're only invested in exploration companies, uh, which tend to have a more illiquid um, trading pattern. It's very hard to change positions when you want to, especially during corrections. Willem, if your fund just passed that 200 million Canadian mark, is there a point at which your fund gets too big to where you lose your competitive advantage? Yes, that's a sensitive point. You should have asked that question. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no it's, it's a great point. And, and we discussed this within our company quite a bit. Um, we always say there's a sweet spot to be in this industry as a fund between, let's say, 100 million and 250 million Canadian. Uh, if you go over 250 million Canadian, you can still do a good job, but it becomes harder and harder to move the needle um, uh, return-wise uh, when you invest in very small companies making a uh, possible tier one discovery. Um, so we think uh, we will do well up to 300 million Canadian. Uh, but if if we pass that, um, we, we we might um, we we are studying the idea of setting up a a, a sister fund, which uh, is more conservative and is more invested into the major commodity plays and ETFs. And that's a market you can invest billions and billions. And we also acknowledge that for some of our investors, our fund is a little bit uh, maybe too volatile because we have very high returns on the way up, but also 
can have quite uh, large drawdowns uh, on the way down in, in, or in correction during correction years. So a few of our investors might like the idea to be in a more conservative fund. Uh, so we, we we're, we're thinking ab, ab, about that that problem, but it's not a problem yet. But it could be a problem once we get a breakout of this uh, correction pattern in the commodity markets, because uh, as you know, you could easily end up with a year with another 100% gain. Or seventy, or eighty, or ninety percent gain, uh, which we all, we, which we already experienced four times since our inception in two thousand and eight. So then you could end up with three, four hundred million easily, especially since we see very strong inflows. We have yearly inflows now of seventy, eighty million uh, Canadian a year, and that all comes from uh, high net worth investors, mainly from the Dutch speaking languages and. And we even had to um, raise the minimum amount um, of, uh, of uh, investments in, into our fund. We uh, increased it up to 50,000 euros from 25,000 euros. So that's about 75,000 Canadian, I think, because there was such a strong inflow of uh, small, small high net worth uh, investors. Are you seeing inflows from institutional investors or just the high net worths? No, just high net worth. We don't focus on institutions. We don't want institutions, actually. It's a different market. They do different due diligence. And uh, it's just more hassle. And when your returns uh, are not good two quarters in a row, you know, they they leave very easily. And we have a very loyal, um, well, investor base. We have almost 2,000 high net worth investors. And this model works great for us. So we focus on high net worth, but we do see the investment size, the tickets going up quite a bit. So almost every week we have people putting in two, 300,000 in, in one time. And we even see the people who invest into our new asset class, which is 1 million plus, and they have a lower cost, cost structure. And we see quite a bit of these high tickets, uh, large tickets uh, arriving. So you are positioned as AMI and most of my audience in junior mining stocks right now. So for us yeah. to see these outside gains, we need to have retail gobbling up these shares that we already own. So what's going to bring retail into the sector? Well, I think um, um, the Canadian um, market is uh, in a way a bit broken and because the... I really, we, I should say, we are really critical on the Canadian regulators. Um, there's almost no, there's almost no punishment for insider trading. We see so many almost scam-like companies or lifestyle companies, and we've seen it with cannabis, and we've seen it with the crypto space, and. You see it with the junior mining space. So um, I think many retail investors have stopped to invest in Canadian markets because they have been, um, well, almost scammed too much. <laughs> um, and, 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 and that's a very serious situation. And it, it's, it's not discussed within Canada. It's a taboo. Nobody's speaking about this. But we from Europe will see much stronger regulation in our markets than we also invest in Australian markets. And, and there's much more regulation in, 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 in these, well, more professional markets, one could say. And this is really a message to the Canadian regulators. They really need to do their job. 
And instead of being a watchdog, they, they, they turned into a lapdog of the industry. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I knew about the, the naked shorting that many were trying to get rid of in these Canadian small caps, but I had never heard that perspective from a European. Just when I talk with my American friends, we just basically said it's the wild, wild west. And you just got to understand you're getting into that. Like you said, you might get a oh, it's worse. It's, it's worse. much worse than the Wild Wild West. In the Wild Wild West, you were shot <laughs> if you had the, the wrong actors. <laughs> yeah, nobody. There's not even a slap on the on, on the wrist, you know. So, how do you explain this to your investors then? What what is the what is the the, the antidote to this? We are becoming very 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 selective, very conservative. We we changed our. We tweaked our investment uh, approach uh, a bit more to only invest in the top 100 undeveloped tier one and two uh, mining projects and discoveries. So we stopped investing in uh, pre-discovery. We stopped joining private placements in companies um, who are hoping to make a discovery. We are always waiting now for uh, a confirmation of a serious discovery. We prefer to be, um, uh, well, 24 hours late instead of uh, three years too early and have all kind of, um, well, like, like we used to call them, death money, um, money which is not going to uh, bring any returns. And we stopped to support many small companies because they just don't have enough traction. And sometimes they're good actors, but they just can't get enough traction. Um, if you look at valuations for in our industry, I just tweeted a new graph this last weekend showing the valuations of the CDNX, the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Index, made a new low against commodities in this cycle. So since 2008, we haven't seen a low like this. And that tells you a few things. It tells you we are at the bottom of uh, this bottoming pattern. <laughs> it's, I think it's very late in this bottoming pattern and we're on the verge of a very substantial rise. Uh, but it also tells you that the Toronto Stock Exchange um, uh, index where the smaller companies are listed it really has a problem, and that's the problem we just discussed. And uh, there are just um, too many insiders playing these markets and trying to to rip off other investors. And it's uh, the retail investor is is uh, is scared away. So, what would be in light of this? What are some like your top three advice for a retail investor just getting into? This market, we have a lot of them listening to us right now. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, very easy. Don't try this at home. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> you. <laughs> no, but it's, it's serious. You know, if I want to be a biotech investor, you know, I'm not going to try to research biotech myself. I'm going to look for the best and most liquid biotech ETF out there because you know. It's a profession. You just can't find discoveries by doing a bit of, um, um, by going to the internet and going to, to co.ca and, and watch a few chat boards and then think you can out outperform the professional, you know. 
Uh, this is a market where um, professionals and insiders are very active. They play all the games they are used uh, uh, they, they <laughs> um, are used to play and can play in a legal or almost illegal way. And after being active in this market for 20 years myself, I think we now understand where the risks are. And we're um, well, we're getting more and more conservative. And we're down this year only nine percent. And well, look at the 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 the, the index. I think Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Index is down over twenty percent. The Nasdaq is down over thirty percent. And so, so why is it, that, Willem? Is it like winners like Great Bear that lifted you up when when the others went down? That was last year. Uh, Great Bear has um, taken uh, well off the exchange now. But every year we have uh, large winners. So we have a large position in Philo Mining, huge discovery in Andes. And we entered it late, around $8, $8 but well, it has um, crossed 20. Um, we have large positions in, um, in some amazing discoveries in Australia. Uh, Australia is really the continent where more and more discoveries are being made. Uh, I think uh, Australia is underexplored compared to Canada. It's very hard to find new discoveries in Canada, really grassroots new discoveries or, or in Canadian listed companies. So we're very successful in Australia. It took us a lot of time and energy to, uh, to research Australia. It's a totally different market. And don't forget, you have three, 400 uh, exploration companies listed there as well. And there's much higher regulation. The only problem there is that the outstanding shares are often in the billions. So you end up with share price of one or two cents. But percentage-wise, of course, the gains can be uh, incredible there as well. So for retail investors, if it's just a void, would the best thing to, for a new retail investor to the sector to do, find the macro tailwinds that are going to be the strongest in the near term? and the, buy the most quality juniors that are going to profit from those macro tailwinds? Would that be good advice? You know, retail investors um, have, have, a, have a large um, um, disadvantage because they always, uh, because they have a normal job or, or when they're pensioners, of course, they spend a lot of time. But if if you want, want to do this serious, you need to spend over 40 uh, hours a week <laughs> to do your research. So that's very hard. Um, so the best thing normally for investors to do is to find a good fund or ETF. ETF has an even lower cost structure. So I always advise people to buy the ETF. But of course, it's very hard to find a good ETF for the explorers. There's no ETF. You have the GDX for the producers, GDXJ, but these are junior producers. But there's not a, a really good ETF for the exploration space. And um, I think uh, Fanek or um, Sprott should start one because that would be a better idea or, or join a fund like ours. And there are a few more worldwide who really focus on this, uh, in, this, uh, in this field, in this space. So you avoid the pre-discovery. Are you avoiding pre-production? Because we've seen some disasters in companies that were trying to, to build a mine and a mill and come into commercial production. Well, actually, um, our main focus is, is new discoveries, but our second focus is um, the re-rating in starting producers. 
So we always have this list available and we always uh, update this list of companies which will start production within the next 12 to 24 months. But you need to follow them very closely and wait for a breakout in the share price because they have been going trending lower often for years. And then wait for the breakout, um, preferably six to 12 months before commercial production starts. And then you should really watch the chart and the results. So every early sign that the start of production is not going well, you should sell them right away because they can end um, go. They end up. They can end up going bankrupt, uh, as we have seen with a few of them, or, or go down ninety-eight uh, percent. But the ones who um, who start production and become profitable, they will often gain 300 percent. And we've seen a few great examples of that, uh, even in the last few years, because valuations are so low. You had Stepper Gold in Mongolia, you know, nobody was watching them. I think they gained 300%. So it's an interesting field. But again, this is something, uh, uh, it, it's it's great market for professionals like us. And it's difficult to play that home. So your Elliott Wave analysis, which previous times I talked to you, you always use Elliott Wave. Is that coinciding with this relationship between how low the TSXV is in relationship to the commodity complex? Yeah, Elliott Wave has greatly helped us to, um, to actually to point where you are in the cycle. So all these major cycles, they have the same structure because the Larger investment audience always, well, acts like a, a herd. So they all start buying and selling around the same time. And with Elliott Wave, it's quite easy to um, to learn where you are in the cycle. And uh, we had this huge run in 2020, but it was only a run of, I think, of five, six months. So there was the move one higher. And then you had the correction which were in since the end of 2020. And uh, this will bring a bottoming pattern, which is the two, and we're, we are there now. Actually, I think we're just starting to move out of that bottoming pattern, or will break out very soon. And then you're witnessing the start of the, the move three, which is often the strongest and largest and, and longest move upward. So we expect a move up like we've seen in 2020, which brought returns of uh, over 100% in over a very short time frame. So we expect um, a jump of over 100%, but that this jump will take much longer. So that there could be a, a rally which would last or could last for years and bring, um, well, uh, precious metal stocks up 200, 250%. It can be compared to a jump we've seen uh, in 2010, 2011, after the Lehman crash, 2009, 2010. That was, was actually a move five. That's the last move in, in this long cycle. And that, that, that was a gain for our fund of over 300% in, in just two years. So I think it's an amazing situation. It's one of the best it's almost a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to enter this space. And that's 
why we see a lot of inflow as well. And even with base metals, if we do have a severe recession, are you still bullish on base metals just based on, you know, supply shortage? Yeah, I think base metals has a, has a, a, a little different cycle than the precious metals. Uh, if you also look at BHP and Rio Tinto, they do real well. The stocks have done real well. They're not bottoming out like the precious metals space. But uh, you touched on, on another important point, with, which is the shortage in metals. And uh, we always said um, um, one day after 2020, especially after 25, uh, the shortages in raw materials and commodities will be a major news topic. And nobody could believe that in 2016 or 17 or 18. But now we're here and shortages is, is all over the media. And not only in the metals, but also in the softer commodities and the food. And you have the energy crisis, you have the food crisis now. And the study, the in-house studies we, we did on the fundamental supply and demand topics all point to more serious shortages, especially after 2025. So it's bad now, but wait till we reach 2025. Because there's, there's almost no commodity which, which doesn't show a production deficit after 2025. And production deficit is one thing, but if you've got real physical shortages, that's another thing. And that I think we'll see that in the next few years. Willem, your website is cdfund.com. And when I was perusing that in preparation for speaking with you today, I saw that you're hiring. You need an assistant fund manager, you know, with your growth that you described earlier. A okay. lot of smart people are listening to us. Maybe share a little more. Who are you looking for in that, for that position? Well, actually, we started that process a few months ago. We always had a, a relative small team of about five people who've been with us since 2011. Um, we are now with, we just um, hired two, two um, well, two new junior fund managers. And now we have a staff of 13, 14. We also use some people who work freelance. Um, we have researchers now work for us full time from Hong Kong and also from North America. So, um, Actually, we're filled, okay. <laughs> but but if people think they really can make the difference, they can always uh, send us a mail. But uh, actually, the hiring process uh, just just stopped. Excellent. Well, congratulations on your fun success, and I'll uh, be touching base with you in about six months or so, Willem. That's great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the 
the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.